If you haven't been with us for a while or you're visiting, I just want you to let you know that we're in a series called Prayers of the Saints, and it's a unique series for us here at Cornerstone, where really the, the center of the message is we're bringing to you, to you an old historic prayer from one of the saints in our Christian family. So the Christian family is very big, and I know some of you have said, boy, I've been so surprised to enjoy the prayers of Catholics. Or hopefully today you're gonna say, I'm surprised to enjoy the prayers of a Methodist who was actually an Anglican and never called himself a Methodist, although we do, not to confuse things, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, But the idea here is we know that prayer is a critical part of our relationship with God, And learning to pray in a number of different ways is really important. We want to have a robust faith that allows us to connect to God at different times. Prayer is the language of connection. And today, more than ever, in an anxious world where people feel uh, disconnected and they're afraid and they feel lonely, prayer is part of the answer to all of those things. It really is. And um, and science is coming behind it saying it helps anxiety, helps depression, helps all those things. And so we just want to keep bringing creative ways to pray. And so we're bringing you these old prayers. And as we're doing it, we're telling you about the people that wrote them or the first people that prayed them. And so um, along with that, there's some scripture. Of course, these, these prayers are all certainly biblical, and so we'll share some of those scriptures. But today, I'm going to share a prayer with you called the Covenant Prayer from John Wesley. And this is a prayer that was prayed once a year on the first Sunday of the new year, okay? So I just want to frame it this way. It's the Covenant Prayer. It's a covenant renewal prayer that was prayed Once a year by everyone, but every year for many people's lives, all right? Now, saying that, I want us thinking about anniversaries for a while. So, how many married people in the room? All right, let's just see who's been married the longest. Let's do like the thing they do at weddings with dances. Anyone married over 20 years? Raise your hand. All right, keep your hand up if you've been married for over 30 years. 40 years. 50 years. Yes. And yes, we've got two winners. That's a lot of anniversaries. But you know how you get there? There's a lot of yeses that keep getting said and repeated in their heart. I choose you again. Yes to you. Yes to our marriage over and over again. It's extraordinary. Uh, In June, Elise and I celebrated our 20th anniversary, which if you would have known us the first three or four years we were married, it would feel like it would be like an accomplishment of 100 years for normal couples. We barely made it early on, but we celebrated 20 years, and uh, here's a picture of us 20 years ago. I was a child groom back then, yeah. (laughs) I mean, my wife's beautiful. That's distracting. Good grief. I had just turned 22, and some, for some reason, they let you get married that young in Colorado. All right, you can take that off the screen. I'll just stare at Elise the whole time. (laughs) So uh, we knew that June was gonna be a hard month for us to celebrate our anniversary, so we ended up taking a trip in March, and it's because many of our friends and family and the church council and the staff surprised us with a gift at Christmas uh, to take a trip. I mean, it was a really generous gift, and we went to Mexico in March, and it was was just, it was an amazing time, and we just look at, look at it with, and we kind of marvel that we've made it this this long, because as I said, we, we started, really badly. But as you get some perspective and you look back on any relationship you've been in for a long time, but especially a marriage that you've been in for a long time, you think about, it's this really strange thing that when you first get married, you think you know the person, right? You know them the best that you can in that moment at that time in your life, and you say yes to them for the rest of your life. 
So it's this really strange thing because what happens is people change. And you change over and over again in your marriage. I love the quote that Tim Keller uses in the the book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage. He wrote this book with his wife, but he says this about his wife. He says, my wife has lived with at least five different men since we were wed, and each of the five men is me. (laughs) Isn't that true? I mean, things change when you have kids or moves or career changes or you're dealing with grief. I mean, people just change. And so what it requires is over and over again saying yes, and not just yes to the person, not just yes to marriage, but what it takes to have a healthy marriage. Yes to forgiveness. Yes to grace. Yes to fidelity. Yes over and and over again. Often at wedding ceremonies, when the couple is up front and they're, they're sharing their vows for the very first time, I speak to the audience and I'll say something to the married couples. Let this be a reminder of your vows that were shared maybe 50 years ago or 60 years ago. Like these new vows are meant to be a reminder of the vows that we make. Now, the reason that I'm talking about vows today is because we're looking at this thing called the covenant prayer and vows are the promises that we make in relationships called covenants. And I'm going to spend a little time here before we get to the prayer explaining a covenant because it's different than any relationship. So vows are the promises that are made in covenants, okay? Um, The covenants are all over the Bible. It's actually one way for you to best understand the story of God. It's a story of a number of covenants together being built upon. Covenants um, are more than just commitments. They're more than promises. They are more, not less than those things. It's more than just a personal commitment that you make to someone else. The world is built on covenants. Families are built on the covenant of marriage. God's covenant with the nation of Israel is the way God first blessed the world and continues to bless the world. And his covenant with the church today through Jesus is another way that he blesses the world and we're united with him. The meaningful things in life are all the result of covenants. Jesus even made a point to say what he was coming to do was to start a new covenant. And so Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 11 says this, in the same way, he also took the cup, and this is during that covenant renewal ceremony of communion after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant of my blood. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm forming a new, special, unique, purpose-filled kind of relationship with you that we're all meant to say yes to over and over again. So a few things about covenants before we get to Wesley's covenant prayer. Covenants always start with God. God initiates all the covenants. So there's several in the Bible, I won't describe them all, but even the covenant of marriage, it's God's idea, marriage belongs to God, and I would go so far to say that the reason you're with your spouse is because God brought you to them. Whether you believed in him or not, God brought you to them. God initiates covenants because there's a purpose behind it, okay? They always create, they always do something, they fill the world. Another part of covenant is that there's always freedom, there's freedom of consent. So you don't have to say, I do. You don't have to say yes. You don't have to keep saying, I do. You don't have to keep saying, yes. You don't have to. God honors the free will of people. And so at a wedding ceremony, we say, yes, and I do. If you look at the covenant of Israel, God brings them to the mountain after he frees them from slavery in Egypt. They come to the mountain. And God just doesn't ask Moses to agree for the people. All of the people, the rabbis say this, 600,000 people said yes together over and over again. It's an amazing thing about God that he wants our own response. It's not enough to have your parents respond for you or your spouse respond for you. God wants a response from all of us. So he gives us this option. Another part of covenants that's important to to mention is that there's responsibility to them. 
So it's not just that we receive some benefit from covenants, which we certainly do, but we're meant to fulfill them. We're meant to join God in his purposes. And so marriage is meant to paint the picture of the gospel in the world. It's meant to fill the world with children. There's purposes to marriage. There's purposes to the covenant that the church has with Jesus to build his kingdom. There's always purpose and responsibility. And here's the last thing I'll mention. I don't wanna spend too much time on this subject, but I just wanna frame the prayer. Covenants always have a cost. Anytime in the Bible you see a covenant, it's cut with blood. It always is. And not only that, but there's a cost to keeping the covenant. And so those wise couples that raise their hand, they've been married a very, very long time. I mean, they can look at each other and have a lot of joy and thankfulness, but they also know the cost better than any of us. There's always a cost. Here's what covenants do for us. Our identities are formed out of covenants and commitments, okay? Our past or people's pasts are redeemed through covenants and commitments, and God's nature is shown in the world through covenants and commitments. So it's a really, really big deal. So that's a long way of saying covenants are really important to God. And over and over again, we see in the scriptures these covenant renewals that take place between people and God. We say yes to God all over again. A hundred times, 200 times. Every day, we continually say yes to God and his will. All right, let me take you to a scripture where this occurs for a group of people. This might be the first time it is for them, but maybe it's, maybe it's the 10th time. Maybe they're being returned to something. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. And Joshua speaking says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your, gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So he's calling them back to God, to faithfulness in God. Verse 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in those lands that you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so what is Joshua doing? And as he's leading this nation, he's saying, make a choice who it is you belong to. And really what he's doing is he's giving them a choice all over again. Maybe for some people it is the first time to say yes to God. And I'll show you a few more passages here in a moment where we're continually asked to come back to him and say yes over and over again. Now, saying that, I'm gonna take you to the covenant prayer. Again, that was prayed in the Wesleyan and Methodist movements and the movement that I grew up in the Nazarene church comes from this movement. Um, but this is a, a prayer. So considering all of those things about covenant, that's meant to frame the meaning of this prayer. And I've chosen to share with you, um, and you can text this number to the, our text line, or text Wesley to um, our text line, and you'll get the prayer book for this week, um, and you'll see this prayer there. But I've chosen to include the Old English because it just sounds smarter, all right? And it's interesting. <laughs> Last week, since I couldn't read Spanish or Latin, the prayer first came that way. I we'll keep it in Old English today, all right? So this is the covenant prayer. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to thou wilt, thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartedly yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it, 
And the covenant which I, I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Okay, so imagine this for a moment. You're part of one of these movements. Christmas comes and goes. It's the first Sunday of the year. And you know you're going to gather together with people in worship. And you're going to be asked this question. Do you still belong to him? Is he still yours? So much so that you're giving him everything, that you're willing to, to go wherever he leads you, that you're releasing all control to God. Imagine every year being brought to that place and making an honest decision, am I still with God? Am I gonna say yes all over again? I think it's a good thing for people like us because it's so easy in our country to take our faith for granted. We can turn God into just like this genie that's there just to serve our needs. We forget that life is about him, that we were made for him. We're meant to serve him. We were made for his pleasure that God's in control, we can forget all of those things. And so to have reminders at different moments, whether it's every day, once a year, every few years, what life is about and make the choice, do we belong to him, I think is a beautiful thing. Now let me tell you a little bit about Wesley and the movement this prayer came from. So John Wesley was an 18th century Anglican priest, okay? He grew up in a family. I'll tell you a little bit about his mom and his dad in a second, but they had Puritan backgrounds, and so just some connections to things that you may remember from American history. During his lifetime, he was, really, he was known as this incredible famous preacher, um, both in England and in the, in the American colonies. During his ministry, John Wesley rode estimated 250,000 miles on horseback as an itinerant preacher going from town to town, often preaching three times a day. That's the equivalent of riding a horse around the earth 10 times. John Wesley preached in open-air audiences often as he was often kicked out of Anglican churches for different things. He preached um, an estimated to 40,000 40, sermons and preached to over a million people in his lifetime. I mean, this guy was, had incredible significance during this time. And now remember what was happening in the 18th century. There was a lot happening in England in our country. And so a lot of what the, the framework and the foundation of what was happening in America was being birthed out of the spiritual movements that were taking place. Things like the Great Awakening, the Methodist movement, things happening in America uh, in the colonies and also across the ocean in England. And so he, he really has affected all of our lives, whether or not we know him. So today he's more known as the founder of the Methodist movement. The Methodist movement was never meant to become its own denomination. It was just meant to be a reform unit, movement within the Anglican church. But uh, when the Revolutionary War started, they kicked out all the, the Anglican priests because they thought they were loyal to England. And there's no one left behind to take care of the people in the churches except a bunch of undereducated and you know, not formally trained Methodist ministers. And so there you have the start of the Methodist church and its movement. That would expand, there's a, there's a number of churches that have, uh, denominations have come from the Methodist movement, the Wesleyan denomination, Nazarene, Church of God, Salvation Army, the entire holiness stream, when, if you remember our series on the streams, you might remember that, comes from, from this movement. What made Wesley unique along with the Methodist movement are the methods that they use to help reform people or help people grow, and so... You know, if you think back to church at this time, it was high church and the priest was well-educated and everyone knew he was really different and you'd go to church and that's where you would hear things and you'd have to worship in a formal way. Well, Wesley did something different. He said, why don't we get together in groups of five or 10 up to 12 and we gather together in people's homes or at our businesses or in parks and we share our lives together and we pray for one another and we read the scriptures together. And one of the things that was a hallmark of these things they called the societies is that they would pool their money together and care for the poor together in these small groups. 
So this doesn't sound like a, a really unique thing to many of us if you've been in churches like Cornerstone for any period of time, but there was a time that small groups did not exist. And many people call John Wesley and the Methodist movement the, the foundation or the founder of what we know today as small group ministry. So if you've ever, ever gathered together in a coffee shop, three or four other people prayed and read the scriptures together, you can thank John Wesley for that meaningful time. A couple of terms that you've probably heard or a quote that you've heard that comes from him. Have you ever heard the phrase agree to disagree? Many people take that back to John Wesley had a big disagreement with George Whitfield, who was a famous preacher during the Great Awakening in the United States. Agree to disagree meant this, that we have significant disagreements about commitment, but we're going to continue to live in peace together. We're going to want what's good for one another. We're going to bless one another. Here's one of the most famous Wesley quotes. Do all the good you can in all the ways you can, to all the souls you can, in every place you can, at all the times you can, with all the zeal you can, as long as you ever can. It's great, right? It's beautiful. A little more about Wesley. He came from an amazing family, but I have to qualify that. His dad was a bum, basically. And what I mean by that is he neglected his family. He didn't take care of his family. He was a man that was not uh, holding his office. And so he would often leave the family and say he was going off to serve the Lord and the family would suffer and they couldn't feed themselves. And um, he was thrown into debtor's prison. And, and what it did is it put tremendous pressure on John's mother, Susanna, who was an extraordinary woman. And I'll tell you two things about her that help inform him that I think informs the prayer that we're looking at today. Uh, so she, had, she birthed 19 kids, 10 of them lived. They had two houses burned down. John almost died in one of the fires. So... And she homeschooled all of her kids, including all the girls, which was not always the case. And she was an amazing lady. So she'd teach them the scriptures, um, just how to be a, a normal good person, and she would give them their formal education. Well, they lived in this little house that just has a couple different rooms. So imagine 10 kids around her playing, making noise, going to school, studying all their things. Because she was so dedicated to her quiet moments with the Lord and knowing that it was absolutely needed that she find spaces to, to pray, she would often go to her favorite chair and she would grab her apron and she would put it over her head as she sat in the chair. And that was a sign to the kids to leave mom alone. Now, I think she probably figured out that they'll just leave her alone and maybe she just sat there and took a nap sometimes. <laughs> but most of the time, that is where she would, she would pray. So imagine the example to John and his brothers and his sisters seeing their, his mom doing all this hard work, but from time to time, she would stop to be with the Lord. It's an incredible example of an amazing parent. Uh, so I told you earlier that John gets credited for starting small groups, but it really wasn't him. It was his mom. There was a, a time that had taken place that his, John's father was away, and there was a new priest at the, the, the Anglican church there in town, and things were not going well. People weren't showing up to church, and she was concerned about her family and her friends. And so on Sunday evening, she would invite, invite her friends and family into her home where they would gather together in small groups and pray and read the scriptures together and share life together. And she got in a bunch of trouble because none of that can happen in homes. In fact, her husband wrote to her saying, you have to stop right away. And she wrote back to him saying, well, you explain this to God if you want me to stop. And he left her alone. It's appropriate time to use what would God say, right, to someone. 
But John would say over the years, hey, I learned all these things from my mom. I learned these new methods that we still use today about living life together, community, being formed by God, caring for the poor. He'd say, I learned these things from my mom. Uh, during his adult years, as he's this celebrity, he's on both sides of the Atlantic, he'd often write letters to his mom just saying, pray for me, I'm struggling with doubt. And really what he was struggling with all over again is, can I keep saying yes to God? Can I keep saying yes to serving him? He, he was going through all the things that all of us go through all the time. Because the deal is, when you make a covenant or even just something smaller like a commitment, there will be times in your life, many times, where you don't feel close. You're not excited about it. You'll be tempted to leave it. And it takes the encouragement of someone else to say, hey, if you can push through this, it's worth it. Now, if we go back to the example of marriage about this idea of pushing through those times that we don't feel close or things are not good. Um, <coughs> in that book I mentioned earlier, The Meaning of Marriage, <coughs> excuse me, Tim Keller mentions a, a number of studies <coughs> that have found the same thing. And that is that uh, 75% of couples who are doing bad and considering divorce, if they stick it out for five more years, they end up in a happy marriage. Now, of course, this isn't always the case for everyone, and there are reasons that, that people separate, but just think of that. If they just waited five more years, a lot of times things can change. This is my point behind that. There are times in our lives where we want to abandon the covenant or the commitment, and joy and peace and a stronger relationship is found on the other side. Now, apply that to your own relationship with God. Have there ever been moments where it's hard to notice him? You didn't feel as close to him as maybe you did at one time. What you're doing in life just didn't feel as meaningful as the things that you used to do. You're not as excited, you're not as passionate. Now, if you look at that over the course of years, and those of us, or not those of us, but those of you who have been following Jesus for many decades, you look back and you have many of these valley seasons, right? So you have your own track record in history to say, if I can just push through it, things change but I'm probably gonna go through another one because God uses those things. That's how he deepens our faith. But it needs to be said. Our culture so easily throws away its commitments and cultures, or in commitments and covenants. <clears throat> so easily does. Everything is disposable. Everything exists for my personal pleasure in the moment. But the message of the Bible around covenants and the reason Wesley was calling people to pray this prayer often <clears throat> is that joy and peace and real purpose is found and not just making the right covenants, but keeping the right covenants. That's God's path to life. And so they pray. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to thou what wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartedly yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. So let me just ask you a question. Have, have you ever just taken your relationship with God for granted? Or have you ever drifted to the place I described earlier where you begin to think that this whole thing is about God just serving you? 
Now, what happens is that confuses our relationship with God because it's never meant to be on that terms. Of course, he serves us. He's generous. He's with us. He loves us. He's gracious. But we exist for him. He's the king. He's meant to be at the center of our heart. He's meant to be the thing that we love, trust, and serve the most. And the thing is, we always struggle with keeping him in that centered place. But covenant renewals, prayers like this, allow us to re-enter into God's big story. Allows us to re-enter in the terms of the relationship. Romans chapter 12 has a, a similar moment of decision. So Paul says this to the Roman church. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So again, there's a choice, right? It's free. A free will choice. This is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's really interesting that this thing that we all want to understand once you have an understanding of God is we all want to understand his will for us. But his will comes in submitting and laying our lives down for him. That's where the clarity comes. We often talk about calling here at Cornerstone and there's a lot of people chasing their, what we call their individual calling, which is a beautiful thing, what God made you specifically to do. But you know, the easiest way to figure out your specific calling is to say yes to your first two callings, to be an image bearer and to build Jesus' kingdom. When you do those two things, it's easier to figure out where you fit in. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. When's the last time we did that? Maybe that, people had that in mind when they pray this prayer each, each January. How about Luke chapter 9, verse 23? These are the words of Jesus. I mean, he's raising the idea that we have to say yes to him over and over again. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. I've heard that before, but look, and take up their cross daily and follow me. Daily, I say Yes. Daily, we have a choice to say yes. If you're like me, there's no's on certain days. There are other days I don't even consider the question, just float through life. But covenants serve us. They form an identity. They redeem the past. They show God off in the world. And when we say yes to him daily, something amazing happens. Verse 24, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. This is just a counterintuitive way of the kingdom of God. You lose your life, you stop pursuing your own joy and happiness your own way. Guess what happens? You're more joyful. When we take back, when we stop taking back control and give it to God, what we find out is that He's enough and we experience peace. It's amazing. And so I don't think it's just meant to be a message today about a yearly renewal back to God and serving him, but a daily renewal. And this prayer brings us to that idea. The quality of our life is built on the quality of our covenants and keeping them. And the primary one that leads to the things that we're looking for in life in addition to the thing that honors God the most is when we can come back to him over and over again and we say yes. So choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. It's a convicting question. It's a good one. Will you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice? And today, can we take up our cross and follow him? 
think that's a simple message the Lord wants us to hear in this prayer today. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it's just one verse in the context of a whole conversation about covenants. But he's encouraging people to not give up. Don't give up, don't give up, stay with it. Because you know what, they're probably in those seasons of doubting, not feeling close. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, and this is why, for he who promised us is faithful. You know what that tells me? It tells me that Jesus says yes to us every day, every day. Every moment of every day, he says yes. He doesn't say yes to everything we do in our life, but he says yes to you, and he says yes to me. Because he knows what covenant keeping means. He stays faithful. He says, he's, when he says yes, he stays forgiving. He stays generous. He stays close. I wonder if he ever feels that he's not close to us, like we feel about him sometimes. I wonder. But he still says yes despite that. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed because he who promised us is faithful. All right, so simple message today, but hopefully convicting in some way, hopefully challenging. I wanna encourage you, Cornerstone, and all in our families and our marriages to continue to stay faithful to uh, not just all the covenants, but specifically today to the ones that we've made to the Lord. And so as I close, and we're gonna stand up here in a moment and read this prayer together, I wanna just invite you to go to the quiet place of prayer. And as we consider what it looks like to say yes to him again, and again, and again, and again, I want you to think back to a meaningful time in your life when you said yes to God. Maybe it was yes to God to do a certain task or to give something up in your life, or maybe it was the time that you first said yes to him. You started your relationship with him. For me, that was in middle school. I can remember the season that that took place. But I want you to remember a, time, a meaningful time in your life when you said yes to God. And my guess is, because this is one of the things that came to mind and the reason you describe it meaningful is because God did something with your yes. It led to change, it led to growth, healing, led to joy, peace, purpose. See, God blesses our yes. It might take some time, but he blesses our yes. Now, keeping that moment in mind, I'd like us to say yes to the Lord all over again together. And so let's stand, and the guys in the back, they're gonna, they're gonna put the prayer up. I'm gonna read along so they can follow with us. Just encourage you to let these words reflect the desire of your heart. Let him sing in your heart and mind this week as you live out the vows all over again, all right? As we say yes over and over again. All right, let's read covenant prayer together. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to thou what wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. 
I freely and heartedly yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Father, help us to say yes to this a little more, live this out a little more. We all struggle, Father. The amazing thing about your faithfulness, it's enough to make up for our unfaithfulness. Anytime that we're tempted to move away, I pray that we would see your face saying yes to us all over again. Help us remember, help us live this out. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's worship together.